Good morning. Before we get into the message this morning, I just want to say on behalf of my wife and I, I, we just want to thank you for all of your support, encouragement, and prayers at the loss of uh, our father-in-law, my father-in-law, my wife's father, and our trip back east to uh, be with family and do his funeral last weekend. Uh, And also we want to thank you as a dad uh, for just all the kind remarks that you've shared with me about the speaker last week. I heard he was pretty good. Won't be the last time you hear from him. You'll hear from him real soon here as well. Second Corinthians chapter 10 this morning. We are in the midst of a series through the book of Second Corinthians. And Second Corinthians is all about learning how to be a servant of God. What does it mean to serve the Lord? It is, it is Paul's testimony of his own service. And when you and I study the book of 2 Corinthians, we can learn a lot about serving the Lord and what it means to serve the Lord. And so that's what we're discovering. And one of the things that we're discovering through our study of 2 Corinthians about serving the Lord is not only that we are saved to serve, we're not just created by God to serve him, we are saved to serve. God always created us and saved us with a purpose of serving him, not only here, but throughout eternity. So it's important that we learn to serve the Lord and learn how to serve the Lord acceptably. But what we're also learning throughout our study of 2 Corinthians is that we should never as Christians define our service as just those acts of service that we participate in every so often. That's way too small. That God sees us as being his servants 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that Serving the Lord is as much about who we are as what we do. Again, when we think about serving the Lord, you know, somebody could say, well, how do you serve the Lord? And we're like, well, you know, I'm a pastor and I do this and I do that. And we, we sort of zero in on the things, right? God zeroes very much in on just who we are at all times. And we're going to see that in this chapter, especially this morning. Now, as you know, many times, and if you come here to the Oasis, that as we study the Word, a lot of times I'm a guy that loves alliteration, so you're going to hear that again today. But these words that we're going to go through this chapter with are sort of what I look like as as road signs that sort of help us to stop and pause and see what God has to say to us about each of these sort of principles about the art of servant leadership. Because that's what I've entitled this chapter, The Art of Servant Leadership. Jesus, the great example, taught us that it's not just actions, it's an art to being a servant leader of God. And so I want us to go through this chapter, but I especially want us to get to a place where we have plenty of time to spend on the verses that Nicole shared with us before that song, because that's where God wants me today to spend a lot of time with, okay? So we're actually going to hold those verses off until the very end. But this morning, I'd like to begin in verse 1, and the first word I want us to zero in on is the word appeal, Okay, 
Paul says, now I, Paul, appeal to you personally by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Paul here is making a personal appeal to these people, right? And that's part of being a servant, is being available for God to make an appeal to someone else or a group of people through. In order to do that, you and I have to have relationships with each other. Now, we can't have the same depth of relationships with everybody, but again, it is a reminder to us that why God calls us into a body and into a church like this, into a community of believers, is so we can build relationships with one another so that when God taps us to make appeals to each other, to basically call each other, invite each other, summon each other to something, that there's that relationship there through which we can do it. Or as we like to say, even there, there's chips that have been invested in a relationship that I can cash in on at some point. In, in that relationship. If I don't have any chips because I haven't established a relationship, maintained that relationship, or went to keep building that relationship, then I'm probably not going to be in a position where God can use me to make a call into someone else's life and make that appeal. So you see that right from the beginning. Paul had a relationship with this church in Corinth. He had a relationship with these people. He knew them by name. They knew him, you see. And part of the problem that was going on here that was sort of in the background at all times, and we've talked about this through our study, is that there were those who were jealous and envious of the apostle Paul and his influence and place with those people in that church. And they came in and sought to undermine Paul's ministry to those people, even though God wanted him to still have a voice and an influence and a ministry in that church, even though he wasn't physically maybe the pastor there any longer. And Paul is taking up for himself, not so much that he's taking up for himself personally throughout this book, but it's, he's taking up for his apostleship. For the position that God gave him, especially to these people in Corinth, so that they could benefit and profit from what God was going to say and speak through the Apostle Paul. So Paul here is first of all telling us that one of the arts of servant leadership is realizing that God will put me in a position in other people's lives so that he can use me to make an appeal to them through me, and that there's going to be times where God places other people in my life and we have a relationship so that God can speak to them to make a call or an appeal to me, you see. Secondly, I'm going to use the A word, attitude, because the next thing, notice, Paul talks about in verse 1 is the meekness and gentleness of Christ. This is the attitude that Jesus had here on earth. The word meekness speaks about a gentle strength, or I even like to define it as power under control. And if anybody exhibited meekness, it's Jesus, because Jesus is the almighty God. He has all the power in the universe, yet he doesn't go around wielding all that power all the time. Most of the time, it's very restrained. It, it's very held back, if you will. You see. And, and when he does 
exhibit that strength or that power. It's done in a gentle way. That's the attitude of Christ. Secondly, the word gentleness speaks about a sweet reasonableness, a sweet reasonableness. Christ is a reasonable person, you know? Our God is reasonable, not unreasonable. Therefore, as servants of him, we should follow his example and be a very meek and gentle person at all times. And this air, if you will, that we carry with us, this attitude then leads to other A words that can be thrown in here, approachability and accessibility. See, when we are meek and when we are gentle people, we make ourselves accessible to others. Jesus did this. He was always making himself accessible to others. Yes, he had his times where he would go away and be with the Father, and just he and the Father spent time alone. But then he would leave that and come out and make himself available and accessible so that he could serve the needs of those around him. He was also, because of this attitude and this air about him, very approachable. Even though he is the Son of God, he is the creator and sustainer of the universe. I, I mean, there is no greater person in the universe than Jesus Christ, yet he never put on an air of not feeling comfortable to come up to him and ask or request or, or approach him in any way. You see this throughout the Gospels. People who didn't even, like, know him personally felt like they could always approach him. And yet, so many times as Christians, we don't have that air about us. We don't make ourselves accessible. We don't make ourselves available. We don't have that air of approachability. No, we sort of put sometimes those walls around us, like, don't come up to me and ask me for anything. Don't approach me, you know. And yet, the art of servant leadership is not just reminding ourselves that there are times where God wants us through the relationships that we have established to make appeals to others as others make appeals to us, but that we carry ourselves with such an air and such an attitude that we exhibit the meekness and gentleness of Christ that leads to being accessible and approachable. Because again, Part of service is serving and meeting needs and being available for others. And if I don't walk through my life in that way, then I'm going to very much limit the amount of service and the kinds of service that, that God can do through me. Then drop down to verse 10. The next word is the word appearances. Part of the problem is, is that these folks who were coming in seeking to undermine uh, the Apostle Paul were all about externals. They were all about outward appearances. They remind me very much of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders of Israel. And in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 10, Paul even calls it out. He says, you're looking at outward appearances. You're making judgments and forming opinions just based on outward appearances. And what he's saying is, be careful. Outward appearances can be deceiving. 
Outward appearances can be deceiving. In fact, notice down in verse 11, he says, let such a person consider this, what we say by letters when we are absent, we are also in actions when we are present. And then he says in verse 10, oh, they say, well, his letters are weighty and forceful, but his physical presence is weak. <laughs> and Paul always admitted, look, I'm nothing to look at, right? In fact, there, there's, there's many sort of portraits uh, sort of made of Paul because of thinking about his infirmities and his thorn in the flesh and all this. That he, was, he was a man that would have never intimidated anybody physically. This tiny little, you know, ball-headed guy, couldn't see very well, maybe a little hunched over and all that kind of stuff. And so if you would have looked at Paul, you would have went, who's that? And yet maybe... No Christian who's ever lived was used more powerfully to touch other people's lives and continues to do so than the Apostle Paul. I mean, you could even take Jesus. If you just judged Jesus when he was here on earth by outward appearance, you'd go, well, the guy didn't have a lot of money, earthly, uh, doesn't have a big house doesn't have a lot of stuff from this, doesn't have really any earthly position or power or prestige at all. And yet, obviously, we know Jesus is still the most influential person who ever lived. And yet, we as humans sometimes get caught up in the way the world judges things because I don't have this or that or whatever. God can't use me to be a servant of his. And Jesus and Paul and others are saying, wait a minute, it's more than about externals. It's more than about outward appearances. There are those who may be in your midst, just like the religious leaders of Israel that come in with the phylacteries and, you know, all the garb and all the, all the religious paraphernalia, and they walk down their street with all these ornate robes and everything, and they look really religious and really spiritual. And we've got to be careful that we judge spirituality based on those externals, because to God, those externals mean nothing. It is the heart that matters to God, the heart. And yet there are those like Paul that you and I may look like and go, who's that? And yet God could rock the world through that person. You see, we have to be careful of that in our churches. One of the lessons God has taught me over the years and I continue to learn is as people come into our churches that I do not make the mistake of judging by external appearances, you know, or by what the first impression might be of that person. Because sometimes people have come into churches that I've been a part of or I've pastored, and I sort of wrote that person off. Ah, oh, they're probably not really going to be a pillar in the church. And then they've been solid for like years and years and years just serving the Lord and been faithful, and God has used them in a tremendous way. And then there's others that I got caught up who, who came in with such fanfare. You know, there, there's even been people, I'm sure like you've had experiences, people who've come up to me over the year and say, Pastor, I know you're glad to have me now in your church. <laughs> like, oh, I'm sorry. I, who, you know, I didn't even know who they were, but I was supposed to be really happy that they're here now because now... All of a sudden, because they're here, you know, and they ended up, eh. We've got to be careful of that. Appearances. 
And let's not let those things externally or appearance, let's not let that get into our heads either about how God can use us or how God can use others in service. Next word, verse 8, authority. Paul says, if I boast somewhat more about our authority that the Lord gave us, he gave me and gave you and I this authority for building each other up, not for tearing people down. That's the art of being a servant leader. It's knowing that the opportunities and the ability to speak into other people's lives is to positively promote spiritual growth in their lives and to build them up, not to pull them down or tear them down. And we as Christians can get caught up in being so, again, judgmental and critical and picking each other apart and all of that. And Paul's saying, when God gave us his authority to go into all the world and make disciples and to serve him and to serve his name, he did it and gave us that platform not to tear each other down, but to build each other up. And we have to learn the art of that in our lives, to know that every time God gives me a platform, how, God, can I use that platform? How can I use that opportunity? How can I use that ability that you've given me to be able to build people up, to encourage them spiritually, to promote their spiritual growth? And that doesn't mean at times that we don't have to say some hard things to one another. Or to say the things that need to be said, maybe not the things that we want to say, but it's how we do it. It's how we craft it. It is the art of servant leadership. Because let's face it, Jesus said some hard things to his followers because they needed to hear it. But sometimes it's the way we say it, and sometimes also it's the relationship that's already there when we say it. Again, do we have those chips to cash in, as we say, or do we not? All back to relationships. The next A word is the word affirmation, verse 12, affirmation. We would not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who recommend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. They are without understanding. That was the people who were trying to undermine Paul's apostleship. For them, it was always about measuring themselves by themselves, by their own standards and then comparing themselves with one another. Well, I'm a better Christian than so-and-so, so I'm okay. Paul says, first of all, we should never be defined as Christians and as servant leaders by comparing ourselves with other Christians. Stop comparing ourselves with each other. We're without understanding when we do that. God calls us to be our best self, not to compare ourselves with one another. And second, we should never be driven by human affirmation. For them, it was always about they need other people's affirmation. And Paul's like, you know what? When you and I serve the Lord, if our security, if you will, our surety, our stability is, is God, and we know that we are in Christ and that we're doing what God wants us to do, then it wouldn't matter if every other person on earth didn't affirm us. We don't need their affirmation. All we need is the affirmation of God. In fact, that's going to tie into something we're going to talk about in just a moment. See, part of why human beings today 
non-Christians, and then even Christians, need to keep looking at each other to be affirmed all the time is because we are insecure and we are unsure. If you're sure about who you are in Christ and you're sure about what you're doing for God and you have that surety, then you don't need other people's affirmation, you see. And when where our security and identity is wrapped up in Jesus and who we are in him rather than in the eyes of everybody else, then again, we won't be going around seeking to need everybody else's affirmation. We only need the affirmation of one. See, that's the art of learning to be a servant leader, you see, because <laughs> there will be times as we serve the Lord, where God may call us, like he did many of his servants, to stand alone and say, guess what? I need you to be unpopular with everybody else, but good with me. That means you're going to have to do this or say this, and you may not have a lot of support, even from your fellow Christians, but I need you to be okay with that. Otherwise, again, we begin to limit how God can use us, and then the ways God can use us, because we're always looking for other people's affirmation more than we are the affirmation of God. Or like Paul says, you're always comparing yourself to each other and making the check, yeah, we're good because we're better than so-and-so, where the standard is always, but who did God create and save me to be? That's the only standard, not comparing myself to, that's between them and God. We have to try to reach our potential for who God made us to be. Next word, acknowledge. Verse 17, Paul says, the one who boasts must boast in the Lord. The art of being a servant leader is learning to give all the glory, all the praise, all the accolade back to God. Because if we are accomplishing anything and achieving anything for eternal value, it is only by God and through God that any of that is ever accomplished. That's why Jesus said in John 15, 5, without me, you can do nothing. You and I cannot accomplish anything of value and worth eternally apart from God. Therefore, when God begins to work and move and accomplish and achieve things through us, we should be giving all the glory back to him and not trying to get it for ourselves. So many servants of God through the years have sought to take the position and, and power and all of that that they have and then begin to sort of create their own following and begin to have people, you know, follow them and give them glory as if somehow it's them that's making this all happen. Listen, if God's doing it, then God gets the glory for it. And the only one that's going to be able to do something eternal is God. Now, God wants to work through us, but God's looking for people that he can not only work through, but as he works through us, we say, praise be to God. And that's Paul. Paul says, if we're going to boast as servants, then we need to boast in what the Lord has done. And the, the only way that we get to that point is by allowing God to do what only God can do and not what we can do on our own. 
So many Christians and so many churches are all about what we can pull together, our own human resources and our own human strength and human skill and human wit and wisdom, and we come together and we, we build this thing and we achieve these things. And yet, that's for man's glory. When, when churches and Christians do it right, they're, they're doing things and allowing God to do things supernaturally that only God could ever get the credit for. Only God could ever get the credit for it. And that's what Paul says. And then finally, before we go back to the main part, verse 18, the word approval, which ties into the word affirmation. It sort of crosses lines here, but it's the word approval. Because notice what Paul says. It is not the person who commends himself who is approved, but the person the Lord commends, the Lord approves, the Lord applauds. It is, it is learning that as a servant leader, I again live for the audience of one. I live for the approval of one. I live for the applause of just one, and that is my Lord Jesus Christ, so that one day when I get to glory and I see him face to face, I will hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. See, that's the only words we should care about. I mean, is it nice to hear praise from other people? Absolutely. But I shouldn't be living primarily to hear the praise of people. What did Jesus say? Jesus said to the people of his day, they live more for the praise of men than they do the praise of God. They've gotten caught up into the, you know, um, celebrity of serving God. And they love the praise of people. The problem with going down that road is when I begin to, to embrace and enjoy the praise of people more than the praise of God, there's going to come a point where those roads are going to converge or not converge, and I'm going to make a choice of do I please God or do I please people? And if we get used to that road, we're going to veer off from pleasing God at some point, and we're going to start pleasing people more than we please Him. The art of servant leadership is learning to live for simply the approval of God. If God's okay, then everybody else can be not okay with me, and I could still be okay. I, and I realize a lot of what I'm saying, easy to say, hard to live every day, right? which is why I'm entitling this chapter, It's the Art of Servant Leadership. It's, again, through my spiritual growth. And then ultimately, and here's where we're going now, it's ultimately through me learning to trust God continually and completely that I'll get to that place. Which is why now I want to spend the rest of our time in verses 3 through 5. Because if there's one thing that ties all of these principles that we've already mentioned together and where God wanted us to end up today, and by the way, this part of the chapter is the most quoted, the most recognized part of the passage of, of the rest of the verses. This is the one that many people reference more than others. It's verses 3 through 5. And what's he talking about here? Well, let me give you the big picture, and then we're going to boil it down a little bit. Again, remember, serving God is who I am as much as what I do. 
And God wants to get all of his people, all of his servants, to continually reflect to others our trust in him. That, that's one of the greatest ways you and I serve God without realizing we're serving God a lot of times, is can other people, whether it's Christians or non-Christians, when they look at how I'm navigating life, how I'm doing life, can they see that I'm totally trusting God in that situation, at that moment, for that thing, whatever? Can they tell that my confidence is being placed completely in God? Or am I giving off the fact that I'm trusting in other people or other things or other whatever more than I'm trusting in God? See, that's one of the greatest ways you and I can serve him without even knowing we're serving him is by, again, do people know my trust in God when it comes to living life? That's why in this passage of Scripture, when Paul's talking about spiritual warfare and about the fact that we as servants also have to wrap our minds around the fact that we're in a battle as his servants every day, that this passage is, is applied a little bit differently than the passage that Paul talks to the Ephesians about as far as spiritual warfare. That passage in Ephesians 6 is about putting all the armor of God on and standing against the attacks of the devil. That is part of spiritual warfare, those external attacks, you see from our spiritual enemy or even from the world or whatever. But here in this passage, that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about an internal war that goes on within each of us as Christians every day. That's why you'll notice at the end, he talks about us getting to a place where we can take every thought captive to obey Christ. Because it's a battle that exists in the mind of us as Christians that goes on every day. And this warfare, this battle, these attacks against the mind can certainly disrupt or distract or discourage us from being servants of God. I mean, even think about it as far as stepping into some kind of service. There are so many Christians that's like, maybe even today, Maybe when you came here, you were all gung-ho about, you know what, I need to get involved at the Oasis, and I need to, you know, step in and sign up for some of those things that Dave was talking about at the beginning of the service. And now as the service went on, you're in a battle. Like, nah, you know, I better not. I don't want to commit myself, and I don't have this, and I don't have that. And, and, and you're going through this internal battle right now in your mind, see? Or like many Christians, I'm not good enough, or I'm not talented enough, or I'm not this, or I'm not that, or whatever. And so we talk ourselves out of the things that God may be leading us to do, all because it's this internal warfare that takes place in the mind. So let's go back and just look at these for just a moment. Paul says, though we live as human beings, we do not serve as God's soldiers, according to human standards. For the weapons of our warfare, our military service to God as servants are not human weapons, but are made powerful by God 
See, God gives us all the resources we need in him to prevail in every form of spiritual warfare, whether it's armor he gives us to stand against the devil or whether it's these weapons that he gives us as Christians to try to fight this internal mind warfare that you and I go through every day as Christians so that we, through him, can tear down strongholds, tear down arguments, and tear down these obstacles raised against what? I want you to notice these four words, the knowledge of God. The obstacles, the arguments, the strongholds are all things that are trying to take the knowledge of God and who God is down and put something else in God's place. God must be kept in his rightful place and the, the proper understanding of God, the proper view of God, the proper concept of God must always be maintained, which is why worship and the word must continually complement each other. And it all goes back to, do I trust him or not? Because that's where it really comes back to. Everything that you and I struggle with in this <laughs> This battle is really when you boil it all down, am I trusting God completely or not? Am I, am I letting go of that and releasing that to God and trusting him for it and having confidence, or am I not? And that's where the battle is every day. Whether it's our lives, somebody else's lives, everything else, it all boils down to that. That's the warfare. And in order for us as servants of God to display to everyone around us that we're trusting God, we've got to get a handle on our thoughts, you see? Which is why Paul told the Philippians in Philippians 4.8, don't think on these things, think on those things. Meditate on those. Contemplate those continually. Get a hold of your thinking. And, and some Christians, we have trouble with that, right? <laughs> But, but God tells me he's given me what I need to be able to get control of my thinking so that I can get rid of the stinking thinking and replace it with good thinking so that I can get rid of the falsehoods and the lies and the things that I tell myself and that others tell me that I'm holding on to and I can eject them out of my mind and not dwell them. Listen, it's not a sin to have a lie come into your head any more than it's a sin to be tempted. That's part of being human. The sinfulness comes in when I begin to dwell on it and let that settle in my mind instead of saying, no, you don't belong here because you don't line up with the nature of my God and you don't line up what God said about himself and about me and about his word. And so I'm ejecting you out of my mind and I'm placing my mind back on your truth. And God's given us the ability as Christians to do that continually. That's what Paul's saying. So that in every situation, instead of trusting in someone else or something else other than God, I'm trusting in you, God. And instead of trying to navigate life and navigate reality apart from God, we live in a world that does that all the time. And it's come into the church. That's why Christians many times are just as bad as, if you will, as the people of the world and, and their coping mechanisms. Because we can't handle life. Because we can't 
We can't handle reality. So we turn to these other things to try to cope and navigate life because we're not simply trusting in God. Something else has attacked our knowledge of God. And we need to tear that down in Jesus' name and put God back where he belongs and say, God, part of my struggle and why I'm not even expressing my trust in you to others is because I stopped trusting you for this. I stopped trusting you in this. I stopped giving that person to you completely. I stopped releasing that situation to you. And God, I'm coming back to the place where I'm trusting in you completely. I want to end with these verses. You can leave 2 Corinthians. We won't come back there this morning. We'll wait till next week. And go back with me to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. I actually shared these verses on Wednesday night at our Bible study through Revelation, but I want to come back to them again because I wanted to end with these verses today. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I shared with the folks on Wednesday night, I think these were the first two verses as a Christian I ever memorized. So I've known these verses for quite a while. But again, it's one thing to know verses in the Bible. It's another thing to live them. It's another thing to put them into practice every day. And these verses are a challenge to all of us as Christians to do what Solomon is telling us to do in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. First, the word trust. It means to place continual and complete confidence. And then notice, in the Lord. By the way, you'll notice in your Bible the word Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is Jehovah. That is the God who keeps his word. That's why I can trust him completely for everything and in everything because my God keeps his word. And then Solomon says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not just part of it, not just most of it, completely give it all over to the Lord. By the way, the heart is the control center of all that we think, feel, and do as a human being. That's why he says, God's got to have all your heart. You've got to trust him completely, not part. God, I'll, I'll let you have most of it, but I'm taking some of it too. No, 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 no. I got to give it all to him. I got to trust him continually and completely. Do not rely on your own understanding. Do not rest or try to support yourself on what you and I know, what you, the wisdom that we have, the understanding that we have. That will never cut it. Because there will be times where as we look at things and how we understand things, we go, oh, no, 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 no. And God says, trust me. You can't see it, but I can. I can see the other side of it. You trust me. Just like Daniel did when he went down into that lion's den. Just like those three of his friends did when they went into the fire. Trust me, God says. Just like the Hebrew children did when they walked through the Red Sea. God says, trust me. I'll keep that water up till you all get through, and then I'll close it in on the Egyptians who are following you. Trust me. Acknowledge him, verse 6, in all your ways. The word acknowledge here in the Hebrew just literally means to know him. I love that. 
That's exactly what Paul said. Every obstacle, every stronghold, every argument that puts itself up against the what? The knowledge of God. How do we need? We need to know our God more and more so that the more we know of him, the more we know we can trust him, which is why as Christians, we always need to keep growing in our knowledge of God. So we'll get to a place where we'll trust him and trust him and trust him more and more and more. And then I love this promise. When we trust him completely, he will make your paths straight. Literally, God will go before you and make your pathway navigable and manageable. It doesn't mean life won't have its trials, won't have its obstacles, you won't face opposition, you won't have pain and suffering, but God will go before those who trust him and he will make a way where there is no way. Trust him. Trust him. Every last one of us in here this morning, and those who are watching by live stream, there's something, there's someone, there's some area of our life where we're struggling right now to say, God, I am completely trusting you in that. And God is calling us today, making an appeal to all of us saying, trust me, put your complete confidence in me, not only so you can see what I will do for you, but so that I can work through you so that others can see you're trusting me at this moment and not in anyone or anything else. I'm going to ask our worship team to come and get set. As they're coming and getting set up here, here's what I want us to do this morning. I don't want us to miss this moment with God. God really wants us to settle our trust in him today. That's the message, because that's really at the end of it all, that's the art of being a servant leader. Every other one of those principles we talked about really comes back to, am I trusting God or not trusting God? And God is saying, I, want, I need my people to trust me, because life isn't going to get any easier on earth, <laughs> I need you to trust me with all your heart. And so as we end our service worshiping our God, talking about the name of our God that is a strong tower and the righteous run in or set safely on high, as we sing about the name of our God and who our God is, I'm just calling on all of us, just lean into God like never before. And whatever you're holding back from completely trusting him in, take this moment, don't miss it to just say, God, I'm giving it to you. I trust you now. And, and if I am that person that says, I believe God, but help my unbelief, then make this a moment where God says, I'll help your unbelief. I'll bring you along to where you can trust me more than where you are right now. Would you stand? If some of you want to come and meet with the Lord here, this is always open. But you and I can do business right where we are. I just want the Spirit of God to be allowed to move as he wants to move this morning as we sing this song of worship to the Lord this morning.